You're listening to Two's Company with George Watts and Joel Butcher. Brought to you by Star. Are Crystal Palace a real club? If Brighton are expected to score goals but don't, should I be expected to hand my essays in on time? What events must happen to see Andre Villas-Boas take over at Wolves? And who scored against who in which 2002 World Cup tie? More to come on Two's Company. George, very well done on your intro, mate. Love it. Thank you. Is is there feedback now? There is not. Oh my goodness. I cannot believe I managed to do the introduction having not actually being able to hear. Still can't hear the jingle, everyone. I said last week that I would ask George to reinstall Discord, but I forgot to ask him to. And we're going to power through anyway, aren't we? We're going to just go ahead and do it anyway. Precisely. I mean, it's worked so far for two years, so I don't see why it would change now. I mean, obviously, um, we've only been on Discord for about a year. Yeah, a year of Discord. I want to. I can't wait to get back in. I like the studio. I like the feeling of being in the studio. Is very. I think it is a year since we were in the studio. It's almost our Discord anniversary. Discord of it. Yes. When so, did we start uh, doing Discord shows? Was it immediately? No, it was only. I think it was only September actually. Yeah, I think we just didn't do a show for months. We didn't. Did we? we didn't finish that. The last. We didn't finish the second semester of last year doing shows. And coincidentally, during that time, net happiness in the UK was a post-war low. I don't know if that's to do with the coronavirus or if it was to do oh. with us being off the airwaves. <laughs> no, but I don't think there's any way to know effect. for sure. Every nation has its kind of two's company index where how much two's company is consumed, and it often is. At, yes. Yeah, it's it's in line with happiness. How's your week been, Mister Watts? How's it going? Um, it's been lovely. I've not done an awful lot, truth be told. Um, I was, I've had a bit of a mare with my with my sort of union job. As right. as those of you listening might know, I am the school president of international relations, which means that I'm in charge. Like I'm the head student representative for like the fourteen hundred kids that do IR, and I'm supposed to help out with all their troubles and attend all of like staff meetings. I sit on like the teaching and learning committee, the equality, diversity, inclusion committee, all the feedback committees. And I've been locked out of my email for eight days because IT changed my email domain without telling me that they changed it. And so I didn't receive emails for a good solid week. And considering it was the week when elections were happening and five people were running for my position and they were, I thought they weren't reaching out to me. So I was still able to send emails. I wasn't able to receive them. So I emailed the five people and I was like, hi, you know, it'd be really cool if you could reach out. I'd be more than happy to answer all your questions. And I thought that the dicks were all just blanking me. But it turns <laughs> out, it turns out I was blanking them, which was a really great switcheroo. But, but here we are. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry to hear that. Have you, <laughs> are you back in now or are you, you still? I'm back there? in. I'm back in. I spent a good two or three hours catching up on my emails yesterday. Nothing exciting, but it did prevent me from doing any actual work on my essays which is always well welcomed any excuse can you tell me a little bit about your week joel i hear that you have been elected as a school president this week i've been while we're george going is places listed. we're going places a while, socialist while, takeover of the students union while george get rid of the blair sole student while george is the sole student representative of 1400 ir students i'm now going to be the head student representative of about two divinity students because <laughs> yeah, i'm the divinity student president as of uh, the election, which was at the week, uh, last week, which is good fun. I ran uncontested and decided rather than annoying, rather than I didn't want to go and annoy everyone with more campaigning messages and stuff. 
So I kind of just made my Facebook page and left it and didn't say anything else because I just didn't, you know what I mean? I didn't want to didn't annoy everyone with more campaign messages when no one else was running for the position. So I just left it as it was and hoped that people would get on board. And apparently enough of them did, although I haven't actually seen the results. So maybe not. I mean, who knows? So yeah, it's been a decent week. Uh, well, I, um, I didn't watch the football in midweek. I didn't watch much of the, the kind of really boring football midweek. Hello? 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 I completely disconnected there, Joel, I believe. Did you? I Did wondered. You hear, you were, like, you I was being quieter. silent for the last 30 seconds. You were being quieter than usual. I was thinking, I was wondering if you'd maybe gone to... Yeah, anyway. I thought... The, so, so, so I thought you'd disconnected. Absolutely not. And so because it, cause it was still showing up as if I was talking, but you weren't. So I went on like a minute long sort of um, ramble about how Mick McCarthy, having signed a new contract, is going to get a knighthood for political reasons. Um, and that was going to happen over the next two years. OK, uh, if anyone is in the buzz box, you let us know whether you heard George's ramble about Mick McCarthy or whether you heard my ramble about being the divinity president. I'm interested <laughs> to see which one of us actually disconnected, because one of us obviously did. No, but no, I was also I... talking. No, it turns out I did disconnect because I looked at my Wi-Fi and my Wi-Fi had gone. So I imagine that they heard all about your yeah, divinity presidency, uh, which they should rename the papacy. Daddy Lamina says he heard me, which is nice. And uh, Karen yeah. agrees. Great. Uh, thank you, so, Daddy yeah, Lamina. I'm, elect- I'm, elected. I'm elected as student representative. And midweek, I was busy because I've got an essay due next week. So I'm, I'm not... I wasn't watching much football midweek, and to be honest, it seems to be exactly the right call because the midweek football seemed absolutely dire with nil-nils and boring games. But I know, I Cardiff tuned... put four goals past Wayne Rooney's derby, which that made me true. immeasurably happy. And then I did tune back in for um, Arsenal's game against Burnley yesterday, which is where we're going to start today. Uh, Arsenal went to Turf Moor, a place where they've often kind of seen as often often frustrated and unable to break down tough Burnley defences. Can they do it's it occasion. on a brisk Saturday early afternoon in Burnley? That's the question, and isn't it? Honestly, they, they really should have. I think it was, it was an absolutely brilliant game. I was, I was really happy I tuned in for it, even though obviously it wasn't the result I wanted because it was only a 1-1 draw. Um, yeah. We, we did some really nice stuff. We Aubameyang got a lovely goal at the start. Uh, Saka and Odegaard and Partey and Tierney still and basically a lot, a lot of our players played really well and it was a we played out from the back very well almost all of the time and it was great yeah. and I was actually really enjoyed it but I think as as a lot of people might be aware just before half time or not yeah shortly before half time um there was an incident where Bernd Leno passed it to Shaka inside our own box as like off as our first step of playing out from the back to move up the pitch Shaka yeah. took a touch and then didn't really look to his left properly and then hit it with his weaker foot out towards our right back, who was Callum Chambers. And it just ricocheted off Chris Wood, who was stood kind of closer than Shaka, I think, thought he was. And it hit Wood and looked... It, it was a very comical goal. It hit Wood and went in without Wood really doing a whole goal. lot about it. Yeah, it was a pretty yeah, funny goal. goal. It, was, it, was, it was pretty good char, as mm, the kids exactly. say these days. So it was a, it was a funny goal. And... It just sparked so much, so much chat that I didn't think was very good and very like, I think it was pretty lazy analysis because a lot of people then jumped straight on the, why is Leno passed him there? Why is Shaka not clearing his lines? Why are they trying to play out from the back? All of a sudden, 
it's the, it's a problem that they're trying to play out the back when in reality i think that's nonsense because for the, for every every time play out the back in that game other than that one in one incident it was fine and we actually looked really good because we'd often find thomas Partey, who's brilliant at kind of breaking a press and advancing the ball both in dribbling and in passing or we would get it wide really efficiently to to Aubameyang or Willian or Pepe or Saka and it, it went really well but the policy of playing out from the back which has been enacted by Arteta and over the last month has been pretty consistently carried out well enacting that policy is a risk and it's you can't just say players should make the perfect judgment call every single time they should perfectly judge whether to clear or play out short every single yeah. time because they're human beings they're footballers they're not they're not gonna be able to make the perfect judgment every single time the thing to do is enact a policy that on the whole will lead to more success for a team which when you either go, if your if your policy is either play out from the back all the time even when it's a bit risky or hoof it long when there's even a slight risk which yeah. are kind of the two policies you can really go for unless um, unless you i mean they're the two least. sides of the spectrum joel I unless, exactly um, but unless the, the way to go the way to fall in between those is to massively improve a player's judgment which is a pretty tricky thing yeah. to do. I, think. I mean, so, it's clear that, you know, in, in that sense that Arteta is Guardiola's assistant and is like learned from yeah, him, definitely, but definitely. has a worse squad to do it with. You yeah, know, there's a big difference between having Callum exactly. Chambers and Bernd Leno versus having Edison and Ruben Diaz. No, uh, yeah, I think you're right that it shows that... You can't get the staff these days. Like if a better a better central midfield. Say if it had been Partey dropping deep, he probably would have done better with it. But whatever the case is, you can't just say you should only play out from the back on those ones where it's going to go well. So otherwise, if they could have looked at 10, 10 incidents of Arsenal playing out from the back that were basically just as risky as the one that went wrong. I mean, it's and also it's wrong. a poor. I mean, logically, it doesn't work as a structure of an argument because they, like it supposes that you can know whether something will go well, which you can't. Yeah, there is which... always risk involved. Like, even the best footballers in the world will make massive gaffes. Like Peter Enkelman, the famous Birmingham City and Calder City goalkeeper, cost Calder City an FA Cup. Doesn't make him a bad player. He still goes down alongside the greats, you know? David Marshall, you know, Dylan, mm. Dylan, Dylan Phillips. Um, and it, what annoyed me was that there was just no recognition of the fact that the benefits of playing out from the back are harder to spot than the than the drawbacks when it goes wrong. Because the drawbacks are hilarious and comical and disastrous immediately. Playing out from the back does mean you re- you retain possession in the kind of attacking half more often than if you hoover long. Especially in a game against Burnley where our striker is Aubameyang up against me and Tarkovsky. He's not going to keep many balls if you go long. He's not going to do much with that. The way to kind of find space is to draw the midfield forward and then find a number 10 yeah. in some space, which is exactly what we were doing. And there was just no recognition of that. It was suddenly, let's just go straight to what is Granit Xhaka and Bert Leno doing, when actually it's very clear what they're doing. They're enacting the policy that Arteta has told them to do. Arteta yeah. told them basically every single time play it out from the back because more often than not, we'll keep it and it will overall, in the grand scheme of things, lead to more chances and fewer concessions. And it, Although, it just, I do I see where was, you're coming from. I think, I think it was lazy. And I see where you're coming from, where it's like lazy analysis in the sense of they were focusing on saying, oh, this was bad, ergo the policy's bad, as opposed to saying, oh, this was a quite a bad error, but it's generally working. And I think the issue is that they weren't under a particular amount of pressure for that goal, and it was just poor yeah. yeah yeah i think you're right it wasn't, and it wasn't, i think it wasn't, if it was yeah. like i think your argument might like i mean i agree with you but i think it would be a slightly stronger case that you had if they were under a lot of pressure and that burnley had like pressed very very well on that particular occasion but it was just 
th- th- there wasn't really any pressure. It was just really, really poor. Well, there were two it was like Burnley Sunday Burnley. league stuff. Burnley had got two strikers into the Arsenal box for that move and, a, and midfielders surrounding the box. There was kind of only one better option than Shaka for Leno, which perhaps he should have done instead. But yeah, but all the other players in the box, it, it, no, no, like, you're right. I what think, I mean is, it like it wasn't, it wasn't a unusual. Part. It wasn't unusual either. No. It wasn't like they'd been doing it most of the game, and this time that's it went what on. normal pressing would look like. That's what happens to Man City every time that they're playing yeah. at the back. Like that's I, what, it, yeah. I found it to be a, a an annoying piece of like that's all they talked about. When actually the bigger problem, the problem with that game isn't that we conceded because when you play out from the back every time, you're going to concede a goal every now and then from a mistake. But yeah. The bigger problem was that we didn't put away the chances, which. Uh, Saka had one. Aubameyang had a couple. He should have scored. Pepe in the second half should have had about three. And like, they're the things that we that should be the concern rather than every one and every four games, Saka will get a block, get a pass wrong. Because what are you going to do? Like, well, then maybe you say that it's a luxury tactic that perhaps should be reserved for no, 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 quality players. Absolutely not. Because it's I think it's been really good. It, it helped us against Leicester massively. It helped us get the goal we did get and all the chances we created yesterday. It, it's been an unbel- It's been a brilliant improvement in our team. And I. Uh, that the site I don't know we lost sight of that when everyone started talking yeah. like they did no I'm just being annoying I'm just no, being no, annoying no, no. to prevent it from being just a singular rant I'm trying to defend yeah, that's, lads that's I haven't where, even watched the analysis so I couldn't even tell you whether it was bad or not that's where that's where Arsenal are I think I think it's been I, I'm still very happy with the performance really results like performances at the moment are more important than results when Arsenal are mid-table and we'll need to yeah. wait till next season to actually do anything fun I still think that was the second saddest bit of punditry we saw over the weekend. Well, uh, take us to top spot then. Yeah, top spot definitely goes to whoever does the recruiting for who gets to be in the studio for Sky Sports. That in itself is something I'm interested to know about. Sort of, yeah. do you sign a contract? Okay, you're going to be on six championship games this season, or is it like on the on Thursday they'll ring you up? Oh, do you fancy coming down to the studio tomorrow? I'm intrigued about that, to be honest. <laughs> Especially now because they don't actually have to go to the stadium, right? They can do the punditry centrally from Stockley Park sort of thing. And, um, yeah, the fact that they brought Neil Harris in for the Cardiff Huddersfield yeah, game, yeah, yeah. I but, thought was I thought there was a bit unfair. Maybe he wanted to go. Maybe they offered him quite a lot of money. Mm. Maybe he wanted to give his side of the story, as it were. But to bring him in after Mick McCarthy has now gone, like, 10 games unbeaten and to be like, so... What's Mick McCarthy doing so right? The subtext of that being, so how <laughs> did you mess you up? doing so wrong? Yeah. And to be fair, it did endear me to him a bit. He was always quite boring to have as Cardiff manager because he never said anything particularly committal. But he was like mm. a very lovely guy in the Sky Sports studio. He took like what could have been um, interpreted as like backhanded questions quite well, like in quite good faith. And mm. he was like, you know, very congratulatory to Mick McCarthy. So he wasn't saying, you know... Well, you know, like, like he wasn't trying to explain away how well he's done. He wasn't trying to say that it was lucky or, oh, that's just how the championship goes. But yeah, I did feel bad for him that he was there, especially because they started. And for a game like Cardiff Huddersfield, which for some reason the pundit thought fit to say a huge game of Friday night football, <laughs> which, which it wasn't really. I don't think Cardiff at Huddersfield is a massive, you know, like at the Kirklees is a huge, huge Friday night football game compared to the, you know, the Manchester derby that's about to kick off. And that's no disrespect yeah. to the championship. It's just in the context of the championship, it's not a particularly exciting game. Cardiff have been doing well, and they're unbeaten in 10, and it's always nice to speak to Mick McCarthy at a press conference. But we're still not the favourite to creep into that mm. playoff place. That goes to Barnsley and to Reading and to 
Bournemouth, you know, there are all these clubs that are doing slightly better than us that um, that don't have Mick McCarthy and so aren't quite as exciting. But that annoyed me that they made it out to be such a huge game. What also annoyed me was that we played really badly compared to the last couple of weeks where we've not been on Sky. We've been on like the I follow. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Cardiff have just played really exciting football. But, you know, you know, we like we put four past Derby who were on a really good run of form mm-hmm. um, um, over the last month. And, and look really good. The, the, highlights, and, the highlights you look oh, brilliant yeah. in that game. Look like look like a team that you think, okay, yeah, they could be in the playoffs. Mm. Because they were just like like we just absolutely demolished Derby from the word go. And I think that, that that's the difference under McCarthy versus under Harris is under Harris, we'd play quite well sometimes, mm. but we'd always concede first. Whereas with Big Mick, we get ourselves ahead and we're quite difficult to beat. Mad stat of the week, mad stat of the week that somehow Cardiff have faced four penalties this season and not a single one has gone in. <laughs> I like the odds of that are so low. Uh, like, uh, like I just think that's hilarious. And three of them have been saved, and I just felt quite bad that Dylan Phillips wasn't able to save this one because Yaya Sanogo put it <laughs> wide. Yaya deprived him of that chance. Yeah, Yaya Sanogo on his Huddersfield debut. He t- and, and and it's clear that he wouldn't normally be the penalty taker. You know, Huddersfield are going to have an established penalty taker. Right, to give it to him maybe for his debut, be like, you know, get get his confidence going. Yes, you know, get his confidence oh, going. No. You, know, you know, get his head up, and he and he put it wide. He wasn't even on target. Like, so, like, yeah, it wasn't awful. To be fair, even if it was on target, Phillips would have saved it because Phillips went exactly the right place, oh, like, deep Phillips, in the corner. So, so, so it was going to be saved. But there's a big difference between having your penalty okay. saved really well from yeah, an expert penalty, penalty saver yeah, yeah. versus hitting it wide. And then two minutes later, he went through on goal and smashed it over the bar by about 15 oh, yards. No. And then he got taken off a minute later. Our boy Yaya, he was obviously at Arsenal and didn't really do very much. He scored a pre-season hat-trick once, which made everyone get a bit excited for a minute. But then, yeah, never really did much at Arsenal. That's very sad to see. Yeah, oh, poor, is, poor for the lad, poor lad. We hate to see it. We do not love to see it. Just because I know that, you know, he was tipped. They called him on um, 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 Danny Gabadon. It might be Danny Gabadon. It might be the, the, like the other commentator. I can't remember his name. Um, they called him the former hope of French football. And I was like, when was Yaya Sanogo ever the big hope of French football? Obviously saying to him, sorry, mate, you're just not going to be as good. You know, we thought you'd be quite good. You're actually a bit rubbish. Yeah, but this is the time when, like, Martial was emerging... And, um, you know, you had like, I mean, how old is Yaya Sanogo? He must be about 27, is he? I'm about to Google it. I'm Googling. Yeah, he is. He's, he's, he's born in 93, so he's 28. French oh, yeah, yeah. national squad. Sorry, you, you talk about something. But I just want to know, Quickly. like, who, who was emerging around the time that Yaya Sanogo? I also... Like, Varane's about 28, isn't he? Griezmann's 29. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like he's that generation. So he's saying that like that great French generation that included the likes of Varane, Pogba, Griezmann, they and Yaya Sanogo. They Sanogo as their kind of focal point, as the man, the, the man to take him to the The man the to lead the attack. The man to take the, thing, the baton from Olivier Giroud. No one knew thing, that Olivier Giroud would keep holding on to the baton <laughs> for another decade. The thing with um, Harris going on that, I think, is it not also his kind of first step looking for a job again? Because I think a lot of managers end up on Monday night, or ex-Premier League managers end up on Monday night football. They do. When they, when they want a job, you saw, I think you've seen Pardew do it, you've seen Pochettino do it, you've seen but Eddie, you Eddie see, Howe do it a bit recently. Like, I don't see, 
Harris might be just starting to look. Anyone uh, look? I doubt it. Like, unless he didn't want, like, like unless he doesn't want to be a pundit. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Unless he doesn't want to be a manager. I don't think his stock has necessarily gone down that badly after no, Cardiff. So. But you know, he took be, over. Yeah. He took over from Warnock, who is probably like the most recent manager, to, or like you know the only manager I can think of in my time. Perhaps Malky Mackay, but he left in sour taste after being a racist. Yeah, yeah. who would go down as being a um, sort of um, Cardiff City legend. You know, like Warnock has got that legendary status at Cardiff. Yeah, yeah. He took over from him and managed to take the club from like nineteenth to fifth. And gave Fulham a good run in the playoff semis, like mm. beat them on one of the legs after the coronavirus as well. So, you know, he did a really good job and he had a bad start to this season and and the Cardiff board was intolerant. So I don't think that his his stock yeah. goes down that he badly. He must be putting himself back in the shop window to be like, I'm still around, just to kind of remind everyone. Yeah, but anyway, so he, let's probably yeah. get on to... Sorry. Yeah. What else should we, where should we go next? I think, should we... Talking about teetering on the edge of irrelevance <laughs> and how Neil Harris is trying not to be irrelevant. Sorry, I'm about to sneeze in a minute, and I can. Uh, speaking yeah. of teetering, <laughs> speaking of teetering, just because I want to say teetering again, teetering on the edge of irrelevance <laughs> of um, Championship football manager merry-go-round is Neil Harris. And if we think about merry-go-rounds and the Championship and irrelevance and Londoner, that's probably almost breaking top ten of relevant managers from that area of that era. You can't help but think of Crystal Palace, can you? We came into the planning <laughs> meeting. I was like, I kind of want to discuss a little bit about what whether Crystal Palace should be sticking with Warnock in spite of fan sorry not Warnock Hodgson. In <laughs> Freudian spite, slip. I wish Crystal Palace was sticking with Warnock. Oh, they had him years ago. Uh, when like Crystal Palace fans, a lot of them have an appetite for more exciting football than they've got right now. It feels like they feel like uh, Hodgson's football is very boring. It's all quite stale, looking for clean sheets and not much young not many young players coming through and it's all about finishing 13th every year and never anything more and a lot of them are wondering whether it'd be more fun to go and try and get a more manager who's going to play more exciting football and who may even if it goes well make a push for the top half and i came to the call saying should we discuss that and george was like i just don't think it's that deep i don't really have anything to say and then just spent <laughs> the next six or seven minutes talking without me even interjecting about the whole crystal palace debacle so you know george i i, I don't want to say take it away but you know take it away um well we were just talking a bit about um palace fans and this is the first i've heard of it but i'm going to take joel at his word here being the londoner um that they're sort of pushing to be pushing like you know pushing to be ambitious and my response to that my immediate thought was Surely Palace staying in the Premier League and solidifying themselves as a Premier League club is ambitious because there's nothing particularly massive about Palace. You know, they're top 10 clubs in London in terms of stature. Their their rivalry is with Brighton, which is inarguably the most irrelevant rivalry ever. It would be with Charlton or Millwall if they were in the same league. You know, yeah. They're not. They don't have that huge, like, iconic fan base. Like, Selhurst Park is a tough place to go, blah, blah, blah. But they're not sort of like a club. They're essentially not a club that you look at and you go, oh, oh, they should be in the top six. Or like, oh, they could give it a go. Clubs like Villa that have Villa Park or West Ham with the ambition of moving to the London Stadium and having the famous Youth Academy and, you know, having the balls to rehire David Moyes. Like, these are the kinds of clubs that you can see pushing for something. And I, I, 
or like Leeds, you know, as I said, being a one club city, historically having rivalries with like Manchester United and, and the big clubs and European glory days. And, and you can see why fans of all of these clubs might be wanting their clubs to push or feel like their clubs should be pushing. But as a Palace, like, or like from the Palace perspective, I don't see where that desire comes in, except for the desire for excitement. I don't think it's coming from a place of rationality, which is, oh, we're Crystal Palace. We should be in the top half of the Premier League. I think Palace fans, and I doubt Dan Ross is listening, he's the only Palace fan I know, slash my brother's friend, mm-hmm. Owen. Um, I doubt, yeah, he's rogue. He's the only person I know who's not from near there, but has opted <laughs> to support Crystal Palace. Um, so, yeah, big shout out to Owen if he's, def- I mean, he's definitely not listening. But, um, th- I would think the Palace fans are self-aware enough to know that they're not like, oh, we should be in the top 10. That's who we are. We're that club. We should be top 10. It's more of a place of boredom. And it's, I think it comes back to the conversations we were having around October and November time about Cardiff and how initially I think a lot of players wanted Neil Harris to get the chop just to feel something again, just to have some sense of excitement. And I don't think it's helped by not being able to be at the stadium because... Yeah. Although it's good financially for the club, it's good in terms of the security of the club and it's good in terms of the future of the club not going bust and like being able to attract players to be in the Premier League. There is something quite boring where like the highlight of your season is keeping a clean sheet against United. And I'm not saying that is the highlight of Crystal Palace's season, but, you know, you know, or like the famous Andros Townsend volley against Man City. Like these moments, are they enough to justify the boredom that is sort of like going to Burnley, getting a point? pushing to not concede 10 goals against Man City, pushing to stay 14th. And I could understand why there's almost more excitement in being a West Brom, being a Norwich, being an established yo-yo club. But when you're in the Prem, you forget. And, and yeah, like when you're in the Prem and you're losing every game or like you're, you know, you're 15th and nothing's really happening. It was a board draw against Brighton. It's really easy to over-romanticise the championship and miss putting five past Wickham. But, that's not like the, the championship isn't that easy. And we see that with clubs like Sunderland, clubs like Portsmouth, clubs like Southampton, clubs like Villa, who went down and very nearly didn't come back up. So, so I don't know. Yeah, like, like I'd be saying to Crystal Palace fans, be careful what you wish for. And I would only say be more ambitious if you accept that that could very well mean that you get relegated. And if that's something you're willing to like bat for, then fine. But this kind of thing, and this is my last second of my rant Joel this is the last (laughs) this is the last element of my rant what perplexes me is how these mid-table Premier League clubs not Brighton now because they're in the relegation scrap but let's think like clubs like Palace like Brighton like where we might expect Wolves to be like where we might expect Fulham to be Newcastle where we would expect them like these clubs that should be the 12th 13th 14th your Southamptons these teams that shouldn't really be going down but you're sort of like a bit ahead of yourself if you're in the top half why don't these clubs try and win the League Cup and try and win the FA Cup? Because that's the way you're going to push forward is by being in Europe. And that's not going to happen. You're not going to finish seventh. So it really amazes me that these guys say that they're bored of the Premier League. They're bored of finishing 14. But they rest their key players. They rest their Zahars, their Connor Wickhams in the League Cup just to like make sure they've got more of a chance of getting a point against United. And for me, it's baffling. So that's my rant. I, I do agree with you. I think, I think the way that Leicester have, have made their change is because obviously they pulled off something mad in 2016. 
but they've built on the money that came in from that and the interest that came in from that and the kind of the the credit that came in from that and just have built on it brilliantly by attracting the right kinds of players the right kinds of managers and by steadily building up to to being able to for two seasons in a row look like they could finish in the top four and i think yeah I think Palace fans might just be looking at it a point of jealousy, being like, "What? I wish my club had done that." And I think it's, it's okay. It's I, think, like the... I think that's fine to wish that. I would, I would, if I were, a, if I were a Palace player, I would wish that. If I were a Palace fan, I would wish that we could do the same things as a good club like Leicester. Yeah, but it's almost yeah. like the fall- I'm, I'm, I mean, it's different, but it's almost like the fallacy of conservatism. You see, out of the fifty teams or the twenty teams around you that are similar one club goes off and does it yeah. and so you're willing to self-destruct to the gamble to be that one club that's above yeah. the other and is that pro- like is that worth it probably so not you think are you thinking that they should be sticking with Hodgson I don't know if they should be sticking with Hodgson because I'm not involved in, and 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 in spite of the quite fluid and aggressive thoughts that I've managed to salvage about Crystal Palace I mm. don't really care about them much. <laughs> oh by the but way I may not have got a penalty Already, surprise, surprise, surprise yeah. Within a minute. minute, yeah, yeah. Bruno Fernandez has taken it. Oh and wow! I just, took, I just took Bruno Fernandez out of my team for Sadio Mane, and Sadio <laughs> Mane was benched for the game today. <laughs> I'm, I'm dropping like a stone on team. Next um, year, Joel, you have to really pressure me into making sure that I do actually make a fantasy team. I tried. That's why I tried. Oh, it's almost saved. I know. It. I'm so lazy. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So what I mean is that I don't know if they should sack Hodgson. Right. If the reason they want to get rid of him is because they feel like they should be more ambitious than a former Liverpool, former England manager who's been in the game for a thousand games and has taken Fulham to a Europa League final. If they think they're above that, they're mad, is what yeah. I'd say. If, if they want to sack him because idea, he's not yeah. delivering, if they want to sack him because they don't like his, his if football... They genuinely, and if they genuinely feel like their squad is better than what he's been doing, then that's a fair reason to. But if it's not, then fine. Yeah, okay. but if it's coming right. from the perspective of, oh, we're too big for Roy... I'd say bollocks. A couple of things I want to say. You'll, you'll enjoy. One of them was that Mika Richards on Sky Sports was just saying how bad Wayne Rooney's overhead kick was because it was a shin rather than a boot. Which I'm sure <laughs> yes. you appreciate. It was the a rubbish thing, overhead I mean, I mean, it was barely an overhead kick. Second thing I want to say is we're going to get onto the quiz question and a break now. Um, in honour of uh, more expression of interest in bidding for the 2030 World Cup, by uh, the UK and Ireland, which we'll come on to after the break for a little bit. Uh, spoiler alert, we probably think it's a bad idea. But <laughs> the, in honour of that bid, my quiz question is as follows. There it is. Uh, seven players have scored a goal for a home nation, including Ireland, in a knockout game that has been lost at a major tournament. I know that question is very badly worded. So major, major tournament since 2000. Euros or World Cup, home nation got to the knockout stages and lost, but scored a goal. Who, which players have scored those goals in losing games? Okay. Seven of them in total. George, don't look at the buzz box. Buzz boxes. If you've got any answers, stick them in there, and we'll see all you right. in a few minutes. I'm gonna grab a quick wee. If that's all right with you, John. See you in a bit. We are back for the answer to that question. Players who have scored for a home nation, including Ireland, in a lost knockout tie since 2000. What have we got, George? Have you got... George went through a, le- a very good process before the show of starting to eliminate some options. So why don't you take us through? So we've got between 2000 and 2018, we've got the 2000 Euros, the 2002 World Cup, 
2004 euro. Oh, I mean, yeah, so the 2000, 2004, 08, 12, and 16 euros. And we've got the 02, 06, 10, 14, and 18 World Cups. Right? Yep. Um, I'm going to say 2000 euros. I don't know who England played, but I'm going to say Owen scored. We actually went out in the group stages at the cool. 2000. So there's no answers from that tournament. So 2002 World Cup. Yeah. I think we've got England losing to Brazil. Yes. And, Republic, and Republic of Ireland losing to Spain on penalties. Yeah. Yes, yes. I think it wasn't nil-nil, Republic of Ireland, Spain. I'm going to say, and I don't know if it's too early... I think it is, but I'm going to say that Robbie Keane scored for Republic of Ireland. Brilliant answer. One answer correct already. He oh. he scored a last-minute equaliser. It was like, the commentary is, look at these scenes. It's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, Robbie Keane. Correct. England lost to Brazil. Yes. I don't think it was 1-0. I think England did score in this game. Okay. And I'm going to say Michael Owen scored. Absolutely lovely. Correct answer. That was, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, that was the game when Ronaldinho scored, wasn't it? He scored an equaliser, but then obviously yeah. Ronaldinho, uh, Ronaldinho scored after that. 2004 Euros and 2006 World Cup, England lose to Portugal twice. Mm-hmm. In one of these games, Rooney gets sent off. Mm-hmm. I think in both of these games, England lose on penalties. Mm-hmm. Correct. I think, I think Beckham scored in 04. Incorrect. Or did he score in 06? Incorrect. In 2006, it was a nil-nil. But in 2004... Owen scored uh, as well. He did, yeah. He was one of the scorers in 2004. But it was a 2-2. Do you want to stab at the other one? Uh, 2004? Yeah. Rooney? Nah, it was Frank Lampard. Okay, I wouldn't have gotten that. 2008, obviously, mm, there were no home nations at the Euros. Exactly, exactly. Um, Steve McLaren's umbrella comes to mind. <laughs> 2010. Yeah. Thankfully, Frank Lampard didn't score. I put it down as an answer, but he should have. You know? I always remember this game because it was my friend Matthew Hawkins's joint birthday party with Sam Davis at, um, at, 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 at like a laser quest. <laughs> yeah. And after we came out of the laser tag, um, I remember the England game was on. I remember getting really sad because across the road, a German family were living there. And obviously it was a baking hot day, so the windows were all open. Every goal that was scored by, um, by Germany just had a massive roar across <laughs> the street. Oh, was it like 4-2 that game? 4-1. Did Gerrard score England's goal? He didn't. Uh, was it, did Lamp answer? score it? No, he should have, but no, he didn't. Crouch? No. Matthew Opson scored from a corner. Okay, I would not have gotten that. <laughs> <laughs> um, 2012 Euros. I don't know who England played. I, I, I'm I'm not certain that they got out of the group. They probably we did. Got out of the group. Lost on penalties to Italy after a, a nil-nil. Oh, okay, so I didn't get anything wrong there. The or was it? It might have even been a. I don't actually. We went out without scoring. I don't know yeah. what, what the score was, but we were. Um, 2014 scoring. England went out in the group. Bottom of the group to the group. Costa Rica, Algeria, Italy, and yeah. Uruguay. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovely. 2016, Northern Ireland lost to Wales. This is all from George's memory, by the way. He's doing very well. No, yeah, Northern Ireland lost to Wales, 1-0. Yeah. So no, Wales so no lost scorer. to Portugal, 2-0. So to no Nani scorer. and Ronaldo. 
and England lost 2-1 to Iceland. Indeed. I have no idea who scored. I'm going to guess Jamie Vardy. No, don't have another stab. What position were they playing? Striker. Oh, actually, he might have been playing at number 10 by that point. Rooney? Yeah. Wayne Rooney scored. And then 2018... Oh, yeah, then 2018... You've got Kieran Trippier scoring against Croatia for England. Lovely. You've got four of the answers. That's you, not so bad. That is very good. Do you remember uh, Republic, of, Republic of Ireland were at Euro 2016? They were, um, but did they get to the... They did. Ah, okay, well, 16? We'll, oh, oh, did they lose to... Do you want to have a stab? Did they lose to Germany? Lost to France. Lost to France and they lost 2-1? Yep. And I want to say... Was it Josh McLean? No, the man was uh, Robbie, Robbie Brady. The answer. Robbie Brady. But I think George has done incredibly done well a, there. I've done the, a decent job of that. I've done a decent job of that. He's powered through just ruling out a load of teams and cracking yeah. on his memory. <laughs> Good stuff. Right. I think even if I didn't get all the answers, I demonstrated a sufficient knowledge of football so as not to get shat on. Absolutely. Brilliant. <laughs> and that's what yeah. this is all about, isn't it? At the end of the day. One thing George, pre- George teased us with in his... In his uh, debut introduction was the series of events that would have to happen for Jurgen Klopp, it's not Jurgen Klopp, but uh, and Andre Villas Boas to get get his way to the to the Wolves job. Do you want to take yeah. us through? I mean, I mean, it's not actually that deep, is it's it? Not that now long. That we, yeah, I mean, we we made one before, didn't we? Where Harson Hurtle leaves Southampton. I think it's like like the rogue one is Klopp leaves Liverpool, Rogers goes from Leicester That's back right. to Liverpool. Then Hasenhutl. Hasenhutl goes to no, oh no no yeah sorry this one doesn't have Hasenhutl. Nuno goes to Leicester. And then Hasenhutl takes over at Wolves doing really really badly, gets sacked. They fork out for Andre Villas-Boas to get the Portuguese lads back on track. Um so Liverpool lost again today 1-0. <laughs> they they just haven't. They haven't scored a goal in an awfully long time, and it's six six league defeats in a row now, which is the first time ever, I think. And um, it's sad to see, isn't it? Are you sad to see it, George? Has George gone? George has disconnected. George has left the studio completely. I think it's sad to see. Cause I the thing with um, like rebuilding a team that's won a title is you saw you've seen kind of Guardiola do it. The team that's winning, the team that's going to win the league this season with Man City, is is very different to the team that won it when they were 100 points a few years ago. It, like for example, Aguero hasn't been a key part. Fernandinho doesn't play very much. No company, no silver. Uh, their their fullbacks changed. Probably Cancelo's come in, and so yeah, it's a, it's a pretty different team to three Have years ago. Have their fullbacks changed? They spent about three trillion pounds on fullbacks since they got 100 points. They've they've the only change is Cancelo, I think. Uh, but yeah, like you've seen a, a title-winning team be rebuilt by Guardiola at City with a lot of money spent. I, I, I'm pretty confident Klopp could do it again, to be honest. So I don't, I don't think there's any real argument to see Klopp going, even though they're going to do badly this season and may finish as low as like six or seven. Yeah. You catch out, I, was saying, I was saying that it's sad to see. Are you, I was asking you, are you sad to see what's happening? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think he'll go. I, don't know, I, I think don't he think could choose to go. I think yeah, I think it's one of those that mm. I think Liverpool fans were waiting so long. If Klopp were, I don't know, let's say he was a Chelsea manager, he'd be mm. gone. 
But I feel that, like, distinctly at Liverpool, they've been waiting so long to get a title. And Klopp brought them so much that um, I just think it would be really, really sad if Klopp left Liverpool having not been able to even walk into a full Anfield since giving them a title. That would be really sad. That would be. Absolutely. And it's also, there's, um, this I think highlights the difference between the strategies of, of the clubs uh, between Liverpool and Manchester City. Like, I, I saw this point on Twitter, so I'm not going to take credit for it, but FSG at Liverpool have looked to spend big on their first 11, like with signings of the record signing of Van Dijk, the record signing of Alisson at the time, both at the time. The records like big signings of Fabinho, big, spending big on a few players, right, for their first team, but have looked, constantly looked for kind of bargains to bring in for their bench and to fill the rest of their squad. Yeah. Like, uh, Matip was cheap. Uh, Matip was cheap. Matip was cheap. Um, Shakiri, uh, Origi, Shakiri, uh, Ben sure Davis, like Simi Cass, the le- the backup left back. Like these players are quite cheap, but as soon as they then, as soon as you then have to really rely on them and bring kind of four or five of them into your first, you team, realize that they're rubbish. You realize that there's a reason why they're cheap. Like they're not <laughs> going to be able to sell it. Whereas City, actually, in individual signings, haven't really been spending as much on first team players. They've overall spent more because they've brought in so many, but. Um, they've spent a far greater amount on players that have actually ended up sitting on their bench quite a lot. Like Rodri's been on the bench quite a lot of times. Laporte is now on the bench a fair, fair lot because Stones are doing well. Uh, for a while, Cancelo was on the bench doing not very much. Bernardo Silva's up. Like, you, like, again, if City were to have a few injuries like they did last season, City still finished second last season because at the end of the day, when they had to rely on their not first team players, they were still really good because that's, that's an incredibly yeah. expensive. Like that shows a, a difference in strategy and a difference in level of, like the ability to spend because Liverpool at the moment can't compete with a sovereign backed club do you know what I mean yeah um, we should we should actually address the, the the World Cup 2030 I forgot that we were meant to go there after the quiz I think it might have been slightly smoother to go from know, the quiz question saying, to I World forgot, Cup 2030 I forgot that that was what we were meant to go to next yeah uh, I thought that was beautifully transitioned and planned I thought it was a thematic quiz question it was it does exactly we are. what it was meant to be <laughs> and uh you weren't under that much pressure, but you did knock it a bit too hard back to the goalkeeper. <laughs> my judgment. I should have just hoofed my lines and gone straight to George. But then he disconnected. Yeah. So maybe you're, 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 you're pressing. You're pressing it by disconnecting. Uh, you can't spooky. account for the fact that my Wi-Fi will 100% always be accurate. There's always risk that it might malfunction. <laughs> the policy that's improved the podcast so much will sometimes lead to problems. Uh, so, welcome 2030. Boris Johnson said this week that he would back the FA's bid to... The FA back bringing the football home, bringing I think is yeah. football home. It's weird to say bring football home considering we invented it, yeah, but then we also enforced on everyone through colonialism. So, I mean, you know, not like we did, it wasn't entirely a favorable thing we did. But. Also, the we, we, this idea that England invented it is rubbish. Like, like Scotland had an equal part to play, and this claiming Absolutely. of like it's become like a symbol of like English nationalist identity to be like, oh, yeah, football. When in reality, it's as spread to Scotland as it is to England. And Scotland it's part actually, of this rubbish narrative that, oh, England brought entertainment to the world and piss off. Like, well, that's all I have to say. Like, it's gotten old for the English fans and, like, the slightly lefty and the slightly fed up English fans. Let's say the slightly less deplorable England fan who recognises that saying bring football home is arrogant and annoying and nobody likes it and it's not fun and it's not funny and it's not clever. It was There's quite funny a in 2018. In 2018, it was funny. No, it wasn't. As a Welsh then. person, I can tell you that it was not funny. Well, because you, everybody you were watching us win. I know, but everybody hated you. And for a team that wants, 
even if we hadn't even if we hadn't used the annoying catchphrase of it's coming home which was on the most part ironic even though it wasn't for some people i don't think um, it was on it, the most the, part ironic it, i don't I i'm not buying that for a second i can guarantee you for the most part it was ironic because everyone knew that we weren't probably actually going to win like we it was fun but even if we hadn't used that phrase and it was very annoying you're right wales would have still hated seeing England win like, yeah but we would have hated significantly less as right, in okay. as in i would have hated seeing england win but it wouldn't have grated me every time that I heard the song, every time I turned on a, like turned on my telly, I wouldn't have had this, like I've got this like sort of tension building in my body right now of just pure bile at like that. It was just the most aggravating thing. And it's just uh, part of this like it's, glorification you know how, of England, isn't it? It's this like, yeah, 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 fine. But it was, I think it was a classic case of, Everyone got an, everyone got annoyed by it, so everyone wanted to use it more. Like you know, you tell a you tell a kid not to react if someone's trying to wind them up because they'll just want to wind them up even more. Yeah, but then you're victim blaming. Like that's not no, the like not, you can't be like, oh yeah, yeah, not, yeah. We, like, victim, we, right? It's not a big deal. Like, no, but like saying that oh, we did it because it annoyed you. No, I'm saying like, because I'm saying like like making more you fun. more of a dick. It's not like a vindication. No, it's no, a dickification. I, I just think it was. I it was for the most part ironic. I um fairly sure but anyway the, the 2030 world cup um i think we basically agreed before the show i think it'll be really, really good for england to host it good idea. i think it's very important for england to host it because otherwise england probably won't qualify <laughs> i <laughs> no okay this on, is what on... i don't understand joel this is a clarification question i have because like like before we go into why it's stupid for England to host the World Cup for or like the you know the UK to host the World Cup for a series of reasons. First of all, Scotland will be independent by time <laughs> twenty thirty comes around. But if Northern Ireland, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and England are all hosting, I mean obviously they're growing the size of the World Cup. But does that mean all five teams qualify, is or is it going to be? I did, a, I did have that thought earlier this week. They would have to because like. There would be nothing that would speak to the power imbalance and arrogance and ignorance of the English more than England automatically qualifying for that World Cup and the other teams not even getting there. Like um, when Japan and South Korea co-hosted in um, 2002, they were both. But that's two teams. That's very different to like. But I'm saying the general policy, I'm sure, would stand. I'm sure it would stand. Which obviously seems. But surely that would be. Yeah, exactly. That would be a reason that, for example, like I mean, if European nations needed more of a reason not to support (laughs) bid. That yeah, would be somehow, a great one, wouldn't it? Somehow, somehow we've made ourselves more, more annoying over the past kind of five years to the most yeah. of Europe. Who if, can think why? If you consistently finish bottom of Eurovision, you're probably not going to be able to host a World Cup right now. Yeah, I feel like if, there is if, some sort of correlation there. When we done, like, I think World was generally seen as quite good. And even at that point, when our reputation was probably at its highest for the past 10 years, we couldn't even win the rights to host the 2018 World Cup. I don't know what on earth people think gives us the right to win to post twenty thirty. I think that's I think it's fanciful. I think even I think on a global level, I also think I think it'll be right from a selfish perspective. It'll be fun because it mean it'll mean I'd be able to go and see a game. But yeah, but I think I would much rather go and level, see a World nonsense. Cup game. Like you know, Spain and Portugal are hosting. I think like on the selfish level, I would much rather going to a World Cup that wasn't at home. Mm, you know, true. I think like. If I want to go to a World Cup, and that's something that I do want to do at some point, I'd much rather go abroad. Do it, I'm doing it's like, a lot more fun, isn't like it? Just like, 
just walking that. to the Millennium <laughs> Stadium from my house. Yeah, no, that's true. Because it's like I went to the twenty, like I went to the twenty twelve Olympics because I went to see Britain versus South Korea in, game. in the Millennium Stadium. Kim Bok Kyung played oh, okay. for South Korea that day, but like I didn't really go to the Olympics, mm. did I? I can say, oh yeah, I've been to the Olympics, but I haven't. <laughs> and I feel like it'd be a similar thing with the World Cup, yeah. Especially when it's like a forty-eight team tournament or however many mm. teams it's going to be I think in twenty thirty. My opinion, like on... going to see Trinidad and Tobago playing against Estonia in the Cardiff City Stadium. I've not really been to the World Cup, have I? Oh yeah. gosh, I've cut out again. Oh no, you were just my, silent. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, my my thoughts are: I like it when the World Cup goes to new places. Like I liked it that South Africa got to got to host a tournament. I liked that it, it went there, and I like that it goes to new places. For example, the reason I don't, the reason I want the World Cup not to be in Qatar isn't because oh, it's because it there should be it should go somewhere where people actually like football more, and it should. But I think it should go to new places in the world. But I don't like, on the other hand, when it forces a place to build at great expense a load of new stadiums that within four years after the tournament are in disrepair and falling apart and only costing more money having already displaced yeah. a load of people to be built in the first place so that's why i would back more i'd far rather back the world cup going to uh, the north african countries that have bid like uh, tunisia and morocco and algeria and you said egypt because as well it's spread out across the number of countries they've got, they've got enough stadiums built they've got enough big stadiums built to to not have to build more ones but it would raise the profile of football in those countries and kind of put those countries i don't know more in the global spotlight which would be nice to have like also it only yeah. the second time the world cup has gone to africa which you know it's still only it's bad that it's only been once you know what i mean um i'd also feel similarly about uh peru and colombia and their bid and the chile argentina and uruguay one. i like all of those bids i don't really mind which one of them wins um, yeah but for me there's something I annoying yeah. about a legitimate reason for you to host the world cup is that you hosted the world cup 100 years ago I feel like, like, it'd be a nice, I think it'd be I a don't nice under- coincidence rather than a reason. You know what I mean? No, but that's part of the thing. Like, like that's part of sort of people's allure towards it. Is like, oh, it's a hundred years since the World Cup. Let's have it in the same place. See how far footballs come. But like, yeah, for me, I don't quite understand the whole deal about like centenaries of anything. It's just something that I've yeah. never quite understood. Yeah, that's, true. that's true. And it's more like a marketing scam than it is anything <laughs> legitimate. I would kind of, um, if it went there, I'd be like, oh, it's nice. But I'm not like, that's not why I would want it to go. But yeah, yeah, it's not a sufficient reason. But I just think, like, on the point of Qatar, I think there's very good reasons for not having it in Qatar, like corruption and, like, the direct human rights abuses involved with the building of the stadia where, you know, people have been stripped of their citizenship and have died building the stadia. And that's awful. But something that does annoy me a bit is whenever there's, like, a, a country in the East touted to host the World Cup, it's like, oh... But there are human rights abuses over there and we shouldn't endorse that. As if having the um, World Cup in 2030 in the UK isn't giving the World Cup to a country that's funding the Saudi-Yemeni war. Or like giving the World Cup to um, to Canada and the United States isn't, you know, giving the World Cup to a country that cages up migrant children and builds illegal pipelines through indigenous land and yeah. displaces and murders indigenous people. Like, Absolutely. it really annoys me that we would use like oh yeah you see in saudi arabia we can't have the world cup because women can't drive um at, like as a sufficient reason i'm not saying that's not a sufficient reason but i mean that, that is look everywhere the, like not just yeah, not, don't just look at like, the countries where they don't look where they're not white like <laughs> yeah it's kind of basically promoting this idea that it's only people of color that are doing bad human rights abuses and like all the western countries are perfect oh look at europe oh look at the U- like, like look at the us when there are plenty of political reasons that i could think of like voter suppression and sort of like 
neocolonialism and like Pinochet that would make me not want to have the World Cup in the US. But that doesn't matter because it's the US. It's like, oh, it's infuriating. And I, I agree with you completely. Yeah, we're coming towards the end of the show now. I think we've touched most of the things we want to talk about. I can't believe we haven't talked about Conor Wickham being yeah, on the we'll, bench. We'll have to hit Conor Wickham, Wickham Weekly right now. He was on the bench yeah. for Crystal Palace's 0-0 draw against Man United. And incredibly exciting. He, he inspired the side. He posted about Instagram on it. He posted on it um, Twitter about it. He had a good time. And hopefully he'll be also in the squad for Chris Palace's game this evening. So, yeah. Good. The, 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 the good times are coming home. You know, football's coming home because Conor Wickham's on football, the bench. Football's, yeah. Football's, football is, if Crystal, if unironically, fans, coming home. If Crystal Palace fans want ambition, they know where to look. They've got Conor Wickham on their bench, ready to go. Um, Kubo Corner is still pretty quiet, George. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he came off the bench yesterday and got booked. I'm starting to fear that he's going to be one of those where are they now football manager wonder kids from 10 years yeah. ago i worry that i mean he obviously is still very young but i don't know whether kubo corner should be <laughs> kubo corner as a segment is starting to to grow weaker i'm afraid but we'll we'll keep watching him for now right george are you uh have you got everything out you want to say you've got any last last final words yeah yeah it wasn't ironic it, was. it wasn't ironic that football's coming home and it wasn't funny and it wasn't big you, and it wasn't clever. Do you remember that match of the day moment where great Gary Lineker ended the show being like, football's coming home? It was like obviously a joke. Like It's obviously a joke to him and to particular individuals, but to the annoying no, I, I really normal so. people. Nah, I'm not buying it, mate. I'm not buying it. <laughs> I, w- I wish I took Divinity just so I could have voted for reopen nominations for the Divinity School <laughs> president. That's all I've got to say. Well, you know, Ron put up a good fight. So he did about as much campaigning as I did. So yeah. Have a lovely weekend, everybody. See you soon, everyone.